The Inventive Podcast, mixing engineering fact and fiction. Inventive. 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 With Trevor Cox, Professor of Acoustic Engineering at the University of Salford. Welcome to Inventive. Now, one trap engineering can fall into is having grand ideas for technologies, which in practice aren't that useful for the people they're supposed to help. Well, my guest today is Asqua Halonga from Tanzania. He's engineering homegrown solutions to reduce waterborne diseases across Africa, a problem which he unfortunately knows about firsthand, as you'll hear. Later in the podcast, we'll hear a piece by writer Sarah Franklin. This was inspired by my conversation with Helonga. Sarah interweaves water and people in her story and also in her introduction to the piece. I was just really, really struck by the incredible energy that Helonga possesses. His vision is as clear as the water that his filters produce and I loved the way that all the parts of his life connected from the village upbringing and the scientific education his travels around the world up to what seems now to have been an obvious route. So two fascinating takes on Helonga's story for you on Inventive this time, as we mix some more engineering fact and fiction. Veronique has decided to run a marathon. On a road, on the African continent, far from home, a woman runs. She will be establishing water filters in Africa, all her way from Alexandria to Cape Town. The road stretches ahead, and she runs, and runs, and runs. I am determined to be a billionaire in terms of impacting billions of lives. She has a record to break and a mission to fulfill. I see my dream is coming to a reality in Africa and beyond. Inventive. 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 I'm Asquar Hilonga. A professor at the Nelson Mandela African Institution of Science and Technology in Tanzania, the home of Mount Kilimanjaro, Serengeti, and Zanzibar. I'm so proud of my country, I'm proud of myself, I'm proud of my people. So what got you into trying to get cleaner water for the people of Tanzania and Africa? Well, it was my historical background, my childhood struggles, and how I was um, raised in a poor family, poor community. Those childhood challenges really put a certain impression in my mind that one day when I grow up, I I have to change this situation. The poverty, the ignorance, diseases were just too much. Then when I went for my PhD in South Korea, PhD in chemical engineering, uh, and particularly in the field of nanotechnology, I got a lot of exposure and potentials of engineering to solve those problems that I saw in my childhood. And so when I returned to Tanzania, that was in 2012, I was asking myself a question then, what does my PhD mean to my people? So that is the time I went deep into seeing actually what is there? Why is it that people are not developing a practical solution to solve these inherent challenges that were there since my childhood? So what I did, I went to the hospitals, I looked at the statistics of the diseases that people are suffering from, 
And I realized that it was those all-time diseases. Typhoid is there, cholera is there, and dysentery, and all these kind of things. I said, what is this? There is a serious problem here, and we need a solution. So I looked at the market of, uh, for example, water filters. What is the solution that's available in the market? Lo and behold, I realized that there are a few filters there, mainly imported from China, from Korea, India. But these filters are not tuned, are not customized to solve the local challenges in my community. And lo and behold, I said this is an opportunity for me now to change this problem now into a solution. And that is how I came with this invention of nano filter. So it is an integrated uh, filtration system that is customized to target water contamination challenges in various communities. Because these challenges are not uniform. You can find in a place uh, like along the Rift Valley, there is just too much fluoride, which is affecting bones and teeth and it's causing bone fluorosis. Uh, this is, 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 is terrible here in Tanzania, Kenya, Ethiopia, and so on. So I said, okay, this is culprit number one. Let me solve this problem. If you go to Lake Victoria, for example, along the mining area along Lake Victoria, there are too much heavy metals and so on, so on. So I said, let me target these contaminants, bacteria, heavy metals, physical contaminants, turbidity, and so on. That's my story. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could just you know, expand a bit on what it was like when you were growing up. You talk about your childhood challenges. What? Just... Well, uh, that's why it, it needed a book. So I've written a book for this, my story, from Gongali village to London and beyond. So here we are faced with the typical challenges that people normally see on CNN. So for me, it was not a movie. It was a real life in which we did not know what to eat tomorrow. My family was one of the poorest family. My father did not go to school, even class one. My mother did not go to school. We were nine in the family, two already passed away, three actually. So for those who are remaining, I am the last born. And we, we were really facing the real challenges from all aspects of life. Forget about something like electricity. No, we, I was using the kerosene burners and then uh, the food was challenging that much and the water we did not have clean water and don't talk about safe no at least clean just uh, <laughs> whitish water no and we can see sometimes worms floating in in water and uh, in my pool i could see worms i those were the challenges there was time when i, I was struggling with diseases that i don't know what it was and maybe i would have died for this very ignorant <laughs> kind of uh, things. Ah, no, I, I can't imagine. And I was uh, taken to a witch doctor and he had his own solutions. There was a day he came to our home and he was digging some kind of, uh, some, some, he's saying these things were put by the witch doctors and your house could be struck at any time by the lightning. Ah, man, that was crazy. So there was a time I was uh, even treating myself. So I have some bruises now in my stomach. I cut myself to, to treat myself. I was using even a concoction that is a dried um, goat urine. We dry it and I make a concoction to, to try to heal myself. 
Now, those are the challenges. I, I could see some, some children really pass away because of this. So uh, today I'm scared. How did I pass? It's like in a forest full of lions and, 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 and the cheetahs and every creature. You just cross there and at the end of the, of the jungle, you, you look back and you ask yourself, how did you cross on earth? So today I'm, I am really asking myself, how was it possible to live under that circumstance? I mean, it's amazing that you were one of only a small number of people to get the education that you needed to become an engineer, but still. About out of 70 children, only four of us passed the standard seven examination. Four, one, two, three, four children. And so I was one of them who passed. Otherwise, if I failed, maybe I would have been in a village struggling like those other guys who are remaining in the village. So why I have passion today to give back to these people. I don't want to see them against suffering from those old challenges where there are solutions. Those are not like magical issues, like all those diseases that I was suffering from. Today I can just boil down into waterborne diseases. Water purification could help. Just a simple thing like this. But still, how did you get from being in a poor part of Tanzania to ending up studying a PhD in South Korea? I mean, that, that must have been quite a journey itself. I was saying about climbing the ladder from the primary school and we went to a secondary school that was uh, 10 kilometers away from my home. And so that was a struggle daily. I was a day scholar to school, back to school. But I did my best to put all my attention in studies, particularly in science, because I loved science. It seemed simple to me. No, I could not speak these complicated languages like English and whatever. No, no English, man. Sorry, no English. But mathematics does not need any English. Science does not need too much English. It was much of uh, understanding what the, the basic principles. And so I, I loved science. I put all my attention there. My parents, though, they did not go to school, but they loved me so much. They loved me to go to school. So they were really fundraising for me to attend school. They were doing some labor jobs. They toiled a lot to make sure that I attend school properly. And after I finished my secondary school, I went to high school. Again, the tuition fee was challenging, but it's a government school. I could not afford any private school. So from the high school, again, I met to the university in the University of Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. I got a sponsorship from uh, the government. Actually, it's not a sponsorship, it's a loan. And later, after I finished my PhD, I paid back the loan from the government. So after I finished my first degree, I got an opportunity for sponsorship under Sida Sarek. This is a Swedish uh, organization uh, that gave me a sponsorship at the University of Dar es Salaam. And this sponsorship involved attending conferences. I had an opportunity to go to China. That's where I met a Korean professor. So this Korean professor welcomed me to South Korea for PhD because he was so impressed by this young man and he was surprised how I could make it to China at that age. And that's how he went to South Korea. And by the time I finished my studies, they wanted three papers for my PhD graduation, three. But I published 12 papers. And so they gave me a nickname, a manuscript printer. <laughs> and because of that, they gave me a, a further opportunity to go for postdoctorate for two more years. So by the time I was leaving South Korea, I got a good job at the Nelson Mandela African Institution of Science and Technology in Tanzania. And that's where I'm working until now. And now I'm a professor in this university. And this is the place where I again developed the nanofilter. And beside the university here, I have established my company. 
It is the company that has employed now 127 people. I have my own company and my own buildings and an inspiration center where I give training to new startups. And we are already providing services now to 300,000 people, including those from Gongali village, where I come from. And my target is to scale up this innovation now across Africa. I'll tell more about this. I hope that will be your next question. What next? Well, I, I was going to pick on several things, but one of which came to me was the fact you've gone back to your village to find people to work in your company. And you're very passionate, aren't you, about it needs local engineers and local people to solve these problems, and it doesn't work when you bring in people from outside necessarily. Exactly. That, that's my point. That is how I started, because I went to the shop here the market and looked at the kind of filters that are in the market and i saw that these filters are delicate people cannot fix it if something is broken the replacement parts must be ordered from germany from korea india elsewhere but uh, unlike those filters i developed my own local innovation and i involved my people local people to develop these they they develop materials they develop the parts and if something is broken we re replace by ourselves if we find a water that is not uh, familiar to us before, we, we tune our filter in our own way. We change the compartments of the filter to make sure that it can solve also this uh, strange water maybe that we find in, a, in another new community as we expand. So what I'm saying, this is a local innovation with local people. And, and of course, I have other international partners and I can't drop them because it's important in this equation of development for sustainability. Does it change attitudes within the villages and with local people? Ah, well, excellent. That's an excellent question. We develop a model in which we put a filter in a kiosk where a local entrepreneur sits in a kiosk and they purify water and sell to their community. So it's a win-win. They provide clean and safe water to the community, but they are, at the same time, that's an income generation for them. They, in, they get income from this business. So again, the local people gained a lot through this uh, business because it's, a, it's an employment opportunity for them. Again, uh, I employ people, for example, working for development of materials. Uh, I call them like a production managers. But uh, what are they producing? Uh, these are the materials we are making. So there is a lot of win-win. We are creating jobs while we are solving the inherent challenges in our communities. And one thing that struck me earlier on is you talked about you had a PhD and then you thought, what could this do for my people? That, that's it. So when I was in South Korea after finishing my PhD, I had an opportunity to travel with my professor to Texas in university. At the immigration office, I was asked by one immigration officer at the U.S. Embassy in South Korea, said, OK, uh, you want to visit uh, the U.S.? OK, so what will you do after you finish your PhD? I told the officer, I will go back to Tanzania. Ah, OK. So you are finishing PhD in chemical engineering in South Korea. Now you have an opportunity to go to America. And then after six months, you'll finish your study and go back to Tanzania. I said, yes. She marked somewhere. She gave me the report, visa denied. Oh, I said, why? He said, you are a potential immigrant. <laughs> so that really broke that. And, and that's what my friends were actually telling me. that Why are you really going back to Tanzania? Hilonga, Tanzania. So, but I'm, I was determined and I said, no, no, I'm going back. I mean it. So I returned to Tanzania. And today I think my friends are surprised. They are happy. I see a lot of likes on Facebook and elsewhere. 
about the impact that I'm making now after coming back to Tanzania, back to my people, by making my PhD meaningful. Because otherwise it could be a paper PhD, some more papers. Okay, I already have 30 papers. If all these 30 papers could not solve even one problem in my community, then those papers are useless. But anyway, so I'm glad that my PhD is meaningful. People appreciate now. Actually, they wanted me to be the member of parliament. But I said, okay, no, maybe I should continue with what I'm doing now. So I'm giving back to my community. And this is now inspiring many young engineers in Africa. And I hope across the world uh, that it, is, it pays more to use your education to give back to your community. The community that sacrificed a lot for you. And, and, and somewhere I, I was making a, a, a phrase that to whom much is given, much will be required. This is actually from the Bible in, in the book of Luke. So I want to give back to my community because much is given to me. So I am determined to give much because much is required from me. Having a PhD, I think, is not for a personal pride or for personal benefit. It is a broader sense of giving back to the people, to the larger community, to the nation, to the continent. This is the grand responsibility that I have now to use our education, to use our innovation, our engineering endeavor and success to solve the real challenges in our communities. I mean, it's so inspiring to hear you you talk about that and what's, what's kind of driving you there. I, I just want to just take us back and actually describe what these nano filters are and, and how they're being used. So what is your filtering? How does it work to deal with some of the problems you've got with water in Africa? Excellent. So it starts with... Uh, what I saw in the market, I realized that there are filters that are produced that fit all. You just make a filter in India, you import it to Tanzania, and you hope that it can solve any water contamination in Tanzania. That is not right, because here the contaminants vary from place to place. So what I did, I identified the, the contaminants that are found in water, and I realized that the materials that I was studying in my PhD are able to remove these contaminants. For example, I was studying nanoporous silica, which can be modified in different ways. By itself, nanoporous silica has a great potential because it's highly porous, it has active surfaces, and so it can trap, it can remove contaminants from water, which can be modified in different ways. If you further want to improve this nanoporous silica to target a specific let's say a species of contaminant that has a certain functional group that cannot be removed by conventional porous silica. Then that is where I modify its surface to develop a specific structure or a functional group that is able to target that specific contaminant that I observe in water. So it's, it's a key and lock approach. And, and there are diverse materials uh, which can be uh, tuned like this. So the issue is, how do we do this in nanotechnology? This is not a miracle. Nanotechnologist knows a lot how to handle this. And, and one way is to control the uh, chemical reactions. Of course, these are narrated in my papers. You can just read Hilonga's papers. They are available on uh, uh, sciencedirect.com. They are available there. You can see different kinds of uh, formulations of nanomaterials that I have developed and the surfaces that I have functionalized with maybe amino groups or titania silica composite 
or with Kaitosan, or there are different ways of developing these materials. Now I target a specific containers, like if I find copper, let's say, what shall I do to remove copper? How do I develop these materials? So I cannot go deep into these uh, business secrets, but that is how we modify the materials and apply in the filters. It's not like one size fit filter. It's, it depends on location to location. And, and so if you look at the structure of nano filter, it has different compartments. And in those sections, in various sections, we put different materials which can target the contaminants that we found in that specific area. And, and I guess what you've got here is you've got silica, which has got a very high surface area, and you're actually changing the shape of the silica at a nanoscale, so a very small scale, so that it can actually attract these contaminants you're trying to get rid of. So the contaminant fits onto the surface and gets stuck onto the surface of the silica. Is that right? <laughs> Man, I, I talked for one hour and then you summarized in 20 seconds. Oh, no, that's the point. <laughs> oh, well, we work, we, funnily enough, in acoustics, we work with silica and activated carbon for sticking air molecules onto the surface of things. So oh, I know no, a little no, bit, but I've never no. used the filtration. I thought, I thought you were a journalist. Man, I'm talking with a chemical engineer. I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm not a chemical engineer. You're perfectly safe here. I'm, I'm an acoustic engineer, so I know very little. But I do know a little bit about adsorption and silica. So there we go. It's amazing how these sort of bits of engineering cross paths in different ways. <laughs> you, you, you should get one paper from your explanation. And so what's, what's the next challenge for you? The next for me is, is a campaign called Thirst for Life Campaign to scale up nanofilter and to establish 1,000 water stations from Alexandria in Egypt to Cape Town in South Africa. That will uh, impact like 5 million people. But what are we doing here? I got one runner, a lady by the name of Veronique. Veronique has decided to run a marathon from Alexandria to Cape Town. She was looking for a water filter that she will be establishing all her way from Alexandria to, to Cape Town. And then she found this nano filter. So she wrote to me, say, Hilonga, I want to run across Africa and I'll be establishing filtration points in Africa. That was a big surprise to me. And so now we have um, formed a consortium to establish those 1,000 water stations. As we, she will be running, I'll be establishing these stations. This will create employment opportunities for 1,000 people. These are local entrepreneurs across Africa who will be running these water stations. And this is not a naive, ambitious plan. No, it is realistic because I have already tried a little bit in Kenya and in Zambia. And in Tanzania here, of course, we are doing a great job. So we want to scale up now across Africa. And we are looking for partners who can work with us along this exciting journey for the whole length of Africa. This reminds me of a quote of yours I've seen, which is, I want to be a millionaire, not in terms of money, but in terms of impacting millions of lives. Yes, indeed. That is why I am determined to be a billionaire in terms of impacting billions of lives. And through this Test for Life campaign, I see my dream is coming to a reality because Africa has a great potential to benefit through this nanofilter 
I believe this is my opportunity now to touch billions of lives in Africa and beyond. Yeah, so I have won 20 awards through my innovation. And one of these awards is called Pitch at Palace. So I had an opportunity to pitch at Palace in London. It's a very reputable, very precious award. You can imagine being at the palace while you are coming from Gongali village in Tanzania. So the prince asked me a question. So Hilonga, what do you say now after all this success story? And that was my one golden opportunity to really thank God. Because I believe behind all this success story, there is God in my equation, in this life. Because I, I am a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and I thank God that he has fulfilled his promise in my life. I, I, I'm, I, I'm, after that amazing answer, I, I feel this is a, almost a bit churlish, but... Um, you know, because you've been so successful, I don't know if you need this, but if I could grant you a superpower to make your engineering even better, what would it be? <laughs> superpower? Oh, man. I'll just take people to heaven because there they will live for eternity. You know, here I can extend their life for at least 70, 80 years, 115. They will die. But the best investment, I think, is to go to heaven. But meanwhile, how can I extend their life on earth? I think if I have a miracle to extend people's lives, I know in the developed countries they have their own set of challenges, but in Africa here, why should people suffer in the 21st century from waterborne diseases? So if I can just miraculously put a water filter in every family's home now, today, this afternoon, every houses in Tanzania, for example, nine million houses, these people will be away from waterborne diseases. They will be away from all this pain and struggles of treating diseases, the pain of uh, fluoride contamination and so on. And what if I can scale up from Tanzania and around the world? This will be one problem solved in humanity for the first time. So as part of the Inventive podcast, we uh, commissioned some writing from a fiction author. Our, our interest here is exploring engineering through both interviews like with you now and also through stories. And for you, we're going to work with Sarah Franklin, who <laughs> is really interested in the rural life and rural communities. So how do you feel about having oh, someone no. write a story? <laughs> no, yes, yes, yes. After I finished my PhD in South Korea, I did Master of Public Health because... In public health now, we know how to deliver the message. That's what scientists are missing. They know their science, but when they go in front of the community, they are dumb. They start presenting their PowerPoints. People don't understand them. And if people don't understand them, they feel they are so proud, they are educated. People don't understand me. And we can go into that fiction also and myth. It's okay to hear more about these stories. Invented. Halonga, thank you very much for your time today. It was brilliant to talk to you. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Sarah Franklin, and before you hear my story, Clean Me a River, a few words on what inspired me to write it and what I took from Halonga's story. When I was um, told that I'd be paired with Halonga, I was absolutely delighted. I was 
entranced by both his sort of scientific vision and his personal story, and having listened to Hilonga's interview in order to prepare to write fiction around it, um, I was just really, really struck by the incredible energy that Hilonga possesses. His vision is as clear as the water that his filters produce, and I loved the way that all the parts of his life connected, from the village upbringing and the scientific education his travels around the world, up to what seems now to have been an obvious route. In one way, it's a bit like um, watching the, the starter, you know, the source of a river and then seeing it transformed by the end of its journey, parallel to the literal sort of one step after another experience of Veronique Bourbeau, the ultra runner who's partnering with Hilonga to raise awareness. When I heard about this partnership, the ultra runner helping the scientists to create a river of filtration systems down the vertical length of Africa, I knew I had the place to start my fictionalisation. I loved the idea of very different elements, the African scientist and, in my version, uh, my fictionalised version, the European runner, coalescing together towards the same goal. I also loved that Hilonga's doing on a human level what his filters do on a scientific level. He's making changes at a tiny scale, checking the water in one particular area, perhaps helping to set up just one entrepreneur with one water station in that place. And by repeating this for localised circumstances time after time, he's creating an enormous change in the same way that one change to the nanoporous silica can make an enormous change to the quality of the water put through the filters. It took a while to work out how to best present the thoughts and the images while remaining true to the benefits of this collaboration. What I decided to do was to braid them together in the same way that their respective ambitions and journeys, one literal and one metaphorical, are braided together. In both cases, they're driven by something deep inside their psyches, but also by the urge to provide as much good to humankind as they can. I hope you enjoy listening to Clean Mirror River as much as I enjoyed thinking and writing um, about this amazing subject. On a road on the African continent far from home, A woman runs, from Alexandria to Cape Town, down the length of the land. The road stretches ahead, and she runs, and runs, and runs. She has a record to break, and a mission to fulfil. In a lab on the African continent, in his homeland of Tanzania, a man stands. From process to process, his instruments are set up. And now he must wait, check parameters, wait some more, check some more. For every 50 miles she runs, he must wait for three months. The samples stretch across the lab. For her to run, he needs to wait and watch. He sees her. In his mind's eye, in the water samples distributed across the lab, when he closes his eyes against the weight of ambition, He sees her. She shimmers in the heat, a tiny figure in perpetual motion. She's wanted this run for years. Non-runners talk about the things that running gives you, calluses, blisters, creaky knees and achy legs, and hips that stab their disapproval again and again and again. But they don't talk about what it takes away. Anger, worry, responsibility, other people. He's wanted this for years, without knowing the run 
will be the thing. A fundraising effort that stretches the length of the continent. Awareness across the world for his life-saving filters. More to the point, momentum to push through the red tape of country after country and bring clean water to millions of Africans. She is ready. Her body tilts, her body moves, and her mind is free to uncurl. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. He's ready. Build me a road made of water, she had asked him. Build me a river down the spine of Africa, a pure, clear river to float our ambitions on. I can set a record and you can save lives. And he had. The water kiosk glistens up ahead. This is the tenth kiosk since she started the run. Ten man-made oases. Easier to count kiosks than to count kilometers. To count possibilities rather than impossibilities. Each one is a mirage until she actually arrives at it. The mirage taking different shapes according to the need of her body and the pattern of her boredom. Sometimes its metal outline is the climbing frame her kids dangle from in another world, another life. Sometimes the blue tarpaulin that pulls across it, protecting the water from the sun's blast, is a beach hut looking out across the English Channel. The tables of one kiosk become the voting booth she'd visited last November. Mind and body, then as now, a confetti of hope and nerves. But really, the kiosk that awaits her and all the ones that await her further down the route are none of these things. They're more vital than any imaginings. They're the reason she can make this attempt, could plan to be the first woman to run the vertical length of Africa. Left foot, right foot, left foot, stop. Her arrival has sparked excitement around the kiosk and her heart gladdens as it slows its pace for now. The kiosk will belong to one villager, or sometimes to a group of them, responsible for the clean drinking water of hundreds who live near enough to come and collect from it. But there is never just one villager here. The woman running draws a crowd. There's nobody behind the counter right now. Everyone has come out to greet her. But resting on the horizontal surface is the apparatus she's grown used to seeing. Only the nanofilter itself, varying from place to place. Blue plastic buckets are set up at different heights, like a school science experiment. Several of them big enough to hide a small child, wide and lidded at the top. Alongside them, a blue plastic tube that in another world might be used to mail a poster. But here, in this kiosk, it holds materials to remove fluoride. For fluoride is the issue in the water right here. Fluoride? She'd asked him a month ago standing over there where now his research assistant stands. But fluoride is good for teeth. And he'd smile and explain that what might be good for teeth could cause problems with the skeleton, cause tendons to calcify, could literally stop a man in his tracks. This stopped her in hers. Before she has a chance to reach the counter, a child greets her with a cup of their precious filtered water. She smiles at him 
and looks across at the apparatus. White tubes connect the buckets, the water travelling through the filters across an obstacle course. First the sand, halting the bigger particles, then the nanofilter, the specialist device that's making this all possible. And now this cup of water handed to her, the water that's gone through the filter, the filter that's gone through a dozen processes, a hundred brains, and one imagination as big as her own. She trusts him. This man, in his lab, in Dar es Salaam. For a long time, he has done this. Focus, focus, focus on the step ahead. That's all he can do. He walks across the lab, sees the story of their dream measured out in water samples. Samples from countries north of Tanzania, from those to the south. A ribbon of possibility threading down through Africa. Samples originally tested in the field. Samples brought back before testing. Samples sent from the lakes and from the rivers where women collect the water that kills their children. Collected in faith and hope that this time it won't. If you decanted them, you could play a tune. A tune of hope. A tune of water wasted. He turns back to his tasks. Dreams are necessary, but frivolity is not. There's much to be done here. When he was a child, he'd cup the water in his hands and let it run through. It was a waste. If he was caught, there would be recriminations, consequences. But still he doused his hands again and again. His fingers smooth when he dunked them, wrinkled when he brought them out. After they dried in the heat of the sun, they were smooth again. He brushed the silky residue from them and ran to do his chores, to play with his sister. This knowledge knew within him. Water is more than water. What we see through is hiding secrets. Every drop of that water that washed over his hands contained invisible substances that were attracted to his fingers, were persuaded away from the water. It's warm, this water. She takes it in her mouth, knows not to gulp feels it run down her throat and on through her body. Easy to imagine it spreading like branches and twigs on an old English oak, bringing her shade, restoring her. She smiles, the water bringing joy and relief, and the child who handed her the cup smiles too, because he is a child, and children are born to smile. The child's brother grins too, takes this smile and raises it to a sunburst of giggles, and soon all the children are laughing, and their mothers too. Replenished, she starts again, leaves the kiosk with some reluctance, tips her torso off the vertical, calf tendons tensed, toes hinging, waves goodbye, she's off. She runs to the beats of the words the scientist taught her, Nanoporosilica, nanoporosilica. This compound she knows nothing about, which is giving her water as she goes, making this possible. Nanoporosilica. It's not enough to have one filter for this entire continent. It's not enough, he has explained, to have one filter even for one country. The water adapts to its terrain, just like humankind. In some areas, the water will be rich with copper, in another, dense with bacteria. This is water doing its work, 
absorbing the motes that wear off in its embrace, enriching itself. So he took her dream to run the length of the continent, then he harnessed it to his dream to save lives by eradicating waterborne diseases. He took her ambition as he takes his water samples. He examined it. He worked out what has to happen to make this viable. He took the nanoporous silica, this tiny agent of change, and he envisaged her future in it as surely as the witch doctor in his village saw his future those decades long ago, back when he was a small child dreaming big. She imagines the water now, flowing down the rivers, pooling into lakes, defining the countries she's running through. The Nile, Lake Tanganyika, the Salt River, defining the sickness of each landscape. Cholera, fluoride poisoning, typhoid poisoning. The water comes from the river, it comes from the lake, it comes locally, not in expensive imported bottles. Clean water provided by their fundraising for the filters means no more diseases. Water kiosks mean entrepreneurship, each one owned and managed by villagers, sometimes by schools. Nanofilters mean hope. She can change the shape of their lives, of their futures. In the lab, he runs more tests. He can't run like she can, but he can open up the silica, change the literal shape of the silica at a nanoscale so that it can actually attract the contaminant and the contaminant can fit on the surface of the silica. On the road, a piece of glass catches the light and it refracts, kaleidoscopes her image into a myriad tiny pieces. She thinks of the filters he's creating, each one buoying the shapes of the lives of each person they touch. The nanoporous silica allowing for capture of different substances, transmogrifying brown sludge into clear, potable water. The pockets he's built into his filter to allow for the exact combination for the territory evoke the seams and pockets of her running kit, each element calibrated for a specific purpose. She thinks again of the women she's met on the way, always women. The filters themselves alter the lives of those who live in a specific area, change the very structure of how they live. Now they can live without fear of their children dying of dysentery, of a dozen more preventable diseases. His technology and his local knowledge, her running and her fundraising, they make these changes possible. He thinks of her journey, of the negotiations with government, the hopes they've gone through, the bureaucracy which is nothing in comparison to the payoff. He thinks of his mother, his sister, the women who raised him, of the journey he took to learn their skills, from Dar es Salaam to Korea, from the witch doctor to the intricacies of nanotechnology. Now her determination and his technologies combined to create filtration sites which spread like rivers and tributaries. Humankind spreading from them in the form of healthier populations. Water kiosk entrepreneurs, kids who grow up to be anything they want, because he has shown them this is possible. And because they get to grow up now. On a road, on the African continent, far from home, a woman runs. From Alexandria to Cape Town. Down the length 
of the land. In a lab on the African continent, in his homeland of Tanzania, a man stands. From process to process, his instruments are set up. The samples stretch across the lab. He sees her. Through the glass of the tube, he sees her, a tiny figure in perpetual motion. The dust she dislodges sends up a flare. We are coming. Held is coming. Inventive. That was Clean Me a River, written and read by Sarah Franklin. From tiny nanoporous silica to the African continent, this story brings home the different scales Halonga is working at, and also the scale of his ambition. And there's those images of tributaries, interconnected networks of both water and people, with nanoporous silica, as Sarah said, creating water for Africa as clear as Halonga's vision. Do you know any engineers who embody nothing about us without us, working to solve problems for their communities? Maybe we could feature them in future episodes of Inventive. Please contact us at www.inventivepodcast.com or on all the usual socials. We're always pleased to hear what you think of these podcasts and please subscribe on the usual platforms and spread the word. Now the next episode of Inventive features engineer Greg Bowie and we'll be looking across different scales once again. The materials he develops can be used as trauma plates to fix a broken toe or to lay giant undersea cables many kilometres in length. And to add to this fact, the fiction inspired by Greg's story is a tale of espionage in a dystopian future. It's written by Emma Newman. I need you to do something for me. He swallowed, then reached inside his shirt pocket and took out a tiny plastic box, not much bigger than a SIM card. I need you to put this in the plate you print for the diplomat, so it's hidden. And I need you to not tell a soul about it. to give a shout out to the wonderful inventive team who are making this podcast we've got anna scott brown and adam fowler who are the producers music was composed and performed by brendan williams animations and visuals were by annabeth robinson and ben warburton and multi-platform and social media content was directed by jill davis we also have curriculum and career materials building on this podcast they're by nu stem at northumbria university go to our website www.inventedpodcast.com to find out more the Inventive Project is from the University of Salford. It is funded by the Engineering and Physical Sciences Research Council and it's an overtone production. So it's goodbye from me, acoustical engineer, Professor Trevor Cox. Mixing engineering fact and fiction.